I use loosely because you never know who these people may be. Some you just met, some you know from way Hi, I'm Kevin Peterson. This is the Geek and Friends podcast. They're not as funny as they think they are. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Geek and Friends podcast. They come thick and fast these days. It's been literally only six or seven months since the last one of these. I'm joined today by everybody's favourite guest on these because it just means that we can angrily agree with each other. Dave Tickner. Hello, Dave. How are you? Hello, Pete. I'm good, mate. Excellent. I'm very pleased to know that you are well. Um, we shall proceed with this podcast forthwith. I thought what we could do is talk a little bit about England's first test in Sri Lanka and then maybe a little bit about what we expect to see in the second test. And then perhaps a little bit about the Women's World Cup that's going on at the moment. In Whatever you want. Yeah, we'll just talk about some cricket, shall we? Yeah, there's been some since we last did one, haven't there? There's been a, little, a little bit of cricket since then. Um, England lost some games and then won some as well, which was nice. Hooray! Um, they're quite good at ODI cricket now. Um Although, as we've long discussed, we're just going to have to find out how they hilariously beat, how they hilariously lose in the final to the team that scraped through in fourth place to the semis in the group stage. Got that to look forward to. But in that test just completed, I think it was quite interesting in that it was an England win that actually displayed all of the flaws of this particular England team in that. It's quite rare for them to have a dominant top order performance and more often than not they have to get that long tail to dig them out of a mess. And in that test it was you know, number seven Ben Folkes and number eight Sam Curran, both of whom could potentially bat six in a test match. Well, the thing is that it was it was a performance that one rewarded England for their boldness because it's almost like England have England have pretty much acknowledged that this is this is their situation especially playing in Asia at the moment that this is what they are that that, that there is no compelling candidate to bat three for England so it might as well be one of these great many number sixes that they have which allows them to get this bowling attack where you've actually got two seamers plus Ben Stokes, and three proper, potentially match-winning spin bowlers. And you sort of... like the way They got a lot of criticism for the way they batted on that first morning. And a lot of it was fair, because a lot of it was nonsense. But the approach... I sort of get it. I get the idea that... We, you know, that they, they it's, it's not that far removed from the approach the ODI team now well let's just keep going let's just attack because we bat all the way down let's just get our runs and then get on with the bowling and it's they're going to have top order collapses because their top order isn't that good but their middle order is incredible I think you're always going to have I mean I think Keaton Jennings scoring the runs that he did in the second innings there is absolutely fantastic for his career whether or not it's brilliant for the England side going forward, I think, is another question because you've yeah, ended up... It's brilliant for England in this series because he'll... I'm pretty confident he'll score more runs in the next two games as well because that isn't his problem, is it? You know, there's that stat that he's now scored 
more runs in six innings in Asia than in 18 in England or whatever it is. And, you know, which is weird, isn't it, for an England batsman and a South African-raised English batsman, if you like. I don't know quite why uh, he has ended up as this masterful player of spin, but completely unable to play any kind of high-quality pace bowling when everything in his background should suggest the opposite, really. But that's the situation. And, you know, it's it's interesting to see what his career is, because presumably he's going he's gonna to score a lot of runs this winter because he's going to play two more tests in Sri Lanka, then he's going to play in the West Indies, which we all know is now, you know, not what it used to be uh, in terms of a challenge of facing pace. So he's going to go into the English summer on the back of a lot of runs in the winter, and England are going to have to make a decision on, you know, is is he England's opener or is he a specialist opener for overseas tours? I um, think it's so. quite interesting with the grounds that they're going to be playing on for those tests in the Caribbean. And it will be Barbados, Antigua and St Lucia. Now... St. Lucia is probably, I mean, you're not seeing it with the World T20 going on at the moment because they've had a ridiculous amount of rain and just haven't been able to get the covers off. But if you look at games that are playing, that are played in St. Lucia, that's probably the most scene-friendly pitch in the Caribbean and probably the best pitch in the Caribbean in terms of cricket and it's got pace and bounce and all the rest of it. Um, whereas Barbados can be a bit too paced and Antigua, they've not really had a huge amount of cricket at at all recently I think it'll be quite interesting to see the semi-finals and the finals at that Viv Richard Stadium in Antigua in the next little while just to kind of get more of more of a gauge of how much that's going to turn or not turn or whatever but you're right in going to come across South African and Australian pitches that are going to be super pacey and bouncy see a nice winter to get some confidence in them before they go into the Test series against Australia in the summer, and and we're in slight danger of doing that thing now where everything's framed around the ashes. But um, I do think it's it's it is a very interesting team. This England team now. I mean, clearly the three spinners thing is just for just for for now. That's not you know well, let's let's play three spinners all the time, even though it's quite good fun and they should do it all the time because. Yeah, it, it, that's fun and that's what matters. But it it just in, increasingly this England team just seems to be a collection of sort of quite good players. But whether it whether it actually makes a a sane team or not, it's just you 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 look at this next test and you you sort of think that all right, you've got the two openers and you've got Root up four, and then. You've got five other lads who could bat three, five, six, seven, and eight in pretty much any order without making that bigger. I think it's quite interesting in a way, right? Because if you think back to like pre England being any good whatsoever, right? You know, so like the point when we were growing up watching them in the 1990s when they were just dog shit, right? They used to, people used to talk all the time about how England needed to stop picking the best number three in county cricket and just pick the best 11 players, right? 
And that's what this England team is. This England team is the best 11 cricketers for Sri Lankan conditions. And it doesn't really matter that they're not necessarily, you know, you've basically only really got two guys in specialist positions at one and two. And then the rest of them, as you said, I mean, you could almost, but you could bat root anywhere in that top six as well. I mean, it doesn't make sense for him to be any lower than four necessarily, but it's not like he hasn't batted four, five and six yeah. in his career and he hasn't batted at three. Do you know? I mean, it's, it, England, it's, if you look at the numbers, you know, in this, in this England team, you've got Stokes, who's going to go in at three. When he does that, He'll have batted everywhere from three to eleven. Moeen's done one to nine, I think. Uh, you know, Bairstow's out of the side. He's another number six. Uh, he's batted everywhere from four to eight or nine, and could easily find himself coming back in in the top three somewhere along the way. It's, you know, they have just got this collection of of players, and it's like, I think it's like what I was saying earlier with England's approach to the first test was sort of like well we haven't got a number three we could we could pick a number three batsman but we'd be it's it's just it's almost like doing it for show do you know what i mean it's to to pick a number three so that there's a number three at number three but what's the point of doing that if they're not good enough you might as well just well we've got all these other good players just stick them in and at least we give ourselves options. And you end up, so, it was, you know, Moeen Ali goes three. Fair enough. He didn't score any runs. But he clearly contributed more to the team than, than a, a number three who doesn't bowl would have done. So what's, it's just sort of making the best of having, you know, and and as, as a related point to this, I think in general, there's far too much fuss about, batting positions like when I call someone a number six and I think England have got a team full of these number sixes the difference between a number seven and a number six and a number six and a number five I mean it doesn't really mean anything beyond opening the batting which is obviously a specific challenge in itself and even that in this series where it's you know spin opening the bowling and suggesting even this pitch uh, is going to be a spin-friendly one. Um, so even then, the, the specific challenge of opening isn't as clear-cut and defined as it is generally. I think I think you can get bogged down in 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 batting positions and you know what make one player a number four and another player a number five. I think you you're sort of looking at the higher up someone's batting, the more solid you want their technique to be, and the lower down, the more sort of more freedom you have, if you like. And I think that you know there is a different way of playing in those different situations. Um, but I think that again, this thing with England's aggression in that first test was was people playing the way they play their best cricket, and you know. It will be the same with Stokes at three. I, I think Stokes actually does have the game to bat three. I think his defensive technique is 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 decent and underrated, an underrated part of his game. Um, and he's actually, 
he's sort of since he's come back into the side, it has felt like he's almost batted within himself. The second innings last week was was really the first time we saw sort of like the the old Ben Stokes, if you like, of spanking it around. And even that came after playing himself in for an hour and a half. Um, I do think that of those various number sixes, if that's what we're going to call them, um, I think Stokes is probably the one who could who could bat three and not just here, if that makes sense, that could bat three in other conditions as well. I, I think I think Stokes looks more like he could bat three than Bairstow. Uh, yeah, no, I don't. I, you know, I don't hate Ben Stokes being at three. And uh, but I suppose I, I to kind of follow on from your point and to like I, I kind of think numbers four to seven, whatever. Yeah, I don't yeah. think it makes a huge amount of difference. I think one, two, and three are slightly different. And I think yeah. number three, think. number three is a is a position that is slightly difficult because you almost want a third opener. Yeah, I think there's a, if you've got if you have three good openers, then I don't think that's ever a problem. Um, but 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 Eng- England have spent six years England have spent six years having one good opener, and he's not there now. So the sort of the three openers approach to the top three is like it's a nice idea, but it's um, it just seems such such a far fetched one at the moment. Because two openers would be lovely. Cook, Strauss and Trot, one, two and three. How fucking good was that? We had no idea how good we had it then, did we? Well, I think I probably did. But I think there was a few England, people that... England, England, England you know, I, I remember a time in the 90s um, where I genuinely, with all my heart, believed that Graham Thorpe was the last England player who would ever average 40. Because it's, there's never going to be another one. We're fucked, right? And then... For about two years, England had seven, like their whole top seven average in over 40. And people just carried on like this was normal. Like, yeah, the top seven all average 40, just normal. We did, that's not normal. Do you know what this reminds me of? Right, so I I don't really talk about it much these days, but I grew up a Chelsea fan living in London. And when I first started watching Chelsea in the early 90s, they just got promoted back to the Premier League and they were rubbish. And we had... We, you still call them we, you prick. They had uh, Mark Steen and Gavin Peacock and Dimitri Karin and all these players in the team, right? And I remember I went along and watched Chelsea. Dimitri Karin. Dimitri Karin. No in one's, his, no in one his was, long pants. no one was expecting a uh, long panted Russian goalkeeper mention on this podcast, but there we are. But there was this watching. Chelsea playing Man City, I think it must have been about 1996, Rude Hullett's first season, right? And he scored, I think, the goal that ended up being like the second or third goal of the year. And he basically walked past three people and then smashed it into the top right-hand corner from about 30 yards out. And I remember thinking, Chelsea don't score goals like that. That is unreal. I can't believe that just happened. And it didn't feel quite normal. And when you had Kevin Peterson scoring 158 not out to win the Ashes in 2005, I kind of felt the same thing, where I was like, bloody hell, this is a bit weird, isn't it? And I think the people have kind of, over the last 13 years since that, have kind of got used to the fact that England win far more than they lose. Because you would have, it was rare for them to win both of their home series 
before that, you know, before that kind of turnaround under Hussein and, and Fletcher in the early 2000s. And then the idea of them winning away regularly, it's like, what? No, man. So you think, you know, England have won in Australia, they've won in India, they're going to win this series in Sri Lanka, you would think. It's won in South They've won in South Africa. I mean, there's, there's, been, there's been a lot of success, and I think sometimes people, people forget that. And as well, right, this is the theory that I'm starting to increasingly come to watching a lot of sport is that how good your one of Peter's big theories coming up here. How good your domestic structure is and all the stuff behind it is basically only helping you to potentially identify people that can be world beaters. And where you end up having a good team isn't because you've got the world's best developmental structure. It's because you've got a whole load of really good players that peak at exactly the right time. Um and that's and that's basically it. And that's basically it. So it doesn't really, you know, people talk about how. Why did no one think of this before? You know, when people talk, going on about how you've got, you know, the county championship moving to the fringes of the season and being played in April and September, bearing in mind that nowadays, thanks to us screwing the earth, we have better weather in September than we do in May. Um, I've always maintained September's a good month for cricket. September's a better month for playing cricket than April and May. When I think back, even to when I used to to play as a, a younger man, those September games were nearly always played in better weather than freezing your fucking nips off in April and May. You know, where you'd break a finger after five overs in the field and only realise three hours later when you. But if you'd had feeling the county championship as is now played in the time it is now. When Ian Bell, Kevin Peterson, Jonathan Trott, Andrew Strauss and Alistair Cook all appeared, do you really think it would have made any difference to their development and their eventual success as test cricketers? Because I don't. Uh, no, it's you're absolutely right. And it's that same thing of, you know, when, when Australia uh, cleverly had all those batsmen and Glenn McGrath and Shane Warne all turn up at the same time, um, and then it was like, oh, we must copy the Australian system. You know, we need to do what they do. And it's like, well, unless, unless you're copying them system, is let's let's have a let's have Glenn McGrath. We want we want a, it doesn't work because it doesn't work like you know it's it's a bit sort of chicken and egg, isn't it? It's another thing, you know, you maximise the potential. The you know the better the standard, and I and I do th- I do I do think two divisions has been a, a a good thing i do think but the thing the thing with county cricket is and and this is again this is true in 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 other sports but county cricket and its its role it, it's an interesting one because in cricket obviously you know the the biggest thing is still um you know, to in in England at least, you know where it's we don't have the the franchises, so we don't have that element yet of sort of big clubs. It's the county. So is that in England to the you know you you general cricket fan, what happens to the England team is the most important thing. And so therefore, so it, it's county cricket is it's but 
And then you've got, obviously, you've got your county cricket fans for whom their county is the most important thing. And that's all fine. But but the problem you have is that whatever happens to England or the county setup, people just use it. It's just evidence of their pre-existing notion anyway. So So if England win, you know, any England win and your fans can go, county cricket's not so bad then, is it? And, you know, any England defeats are oh, county cricket fucking useless. It doesn't, and you know, both of those positions are, well, it, 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 I, okay. are ludicrous. What I'm trying to say, you need to have a very good domestic structure in order to be able to finish off good cricketers, right? <laughs> Easy now. Easy. I'm sorry. <laughs> Uh, no, no, no! Yeah, I, it's a hundred percent me saying. Good, so you're sitting there at your laptop, finishing off good cricket. Finishing off good cricketers. Go on. Right. <laughs> but you've got to. You have to have the raw talent that goes into it in the first place, and there is an element of having a proper domestic structure and those players playing for you and all the rest of it. But ultimately, what it is is harnessing that talent that you've got and having a group of players that peak together at the same time, right? And then if you've got that, then you start winning lots of games of cricket. And if you've got lots more raw talent than other countries, then you've got more chance of doing that on a more regular basis. So it's important from a grassroots level to get as many kids playing cricket as possible because you want those who are athletically able to be playing cricket because, as we know, if you get the best sports people... Do you know what I mean there's there's people that are really good at sport and they tend to be quite good at most sports? Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like most cricketers are good at golf, yeah, because it's a very similar skill set. Um, and just just to be clear though, of course, one of those things is shit, and it's not cricket. Just just to be even clear, golf is shit. Um. Just but I mean, you know, if you clear. if Ben Stokes had decided not to play rugby, not to play cricket, and decided to do rugby league, do you really think he wouldn't have been a very good rugby league player? Because I bet he bloody would have been. I reckon he'd probably be handy, yeah. So it's kind of like you know, I don't know. This is a bit existential, isn't it? And it's a bit, it's a bit chicken and the egg. But I just kind of think, as long as you have a half decent domestic structure that's harnessing the best talent to be playing at the highest level they possibly can, whether or not the cricket is happening in April or September doesn't really matter a huge amount. And I think, broadly speaking, you kind of learn how to be an international cricketer by playing international cricket. And I think that's... Yeah, and that's more the case now than than it ever has been. It's like when you pass your driving test, right? When you pass your driving test, you can drive a car, yeah? But you don't know how to drive. Brilliant. That's kind. Of, you know, that's what I'm trying to say. Um, yeah, I think that you know you learn how best to ad- adapt your game once you're at the highest level, um, and it's quite rare for people to succeed as soon as they walk into the team. Um, for example, going back to the test match we're supposed to be talking about here before we just started going off on a random twenty minute tangent. Ben Folks, for example, turning up and scoring a hundred, um, but. You know, county cricket helped to finish off. To use that phrase again, Dave. Ah, uh, no. Ben to Stokes. Be fair, 
we'd all finish off Ben Folks. I mean, Ben Folks is a ridiculously good-looking human. Um, he, uh, he, uh, you know, he he had that raw talent anyway, and the system helped to develop him. But I don't think he wouldn't have. He still would have scored a hundred in his first test playing as he had, even if the county championship was played with ten counties in May and September. Am I make? Am I make? Am I making this point in any way clear? The one about finishing off Ben Folks. Yeah, I think we've made that point. Yeah, done. Um, right. Uh, so next test, they're without Chandamal, the Sri Lankans, right? Because he's done his. He's done his his, yeah. his ankle in, hasn't he? Um, is it interesting, bearing in mind the consistency of selection that we've seen with this current England setup, that they've decided not to bring back Johnny Bairstow and to stick with folks? Because in theory, you could have dropped. I don't know. It's difficult, isn't it? Who would you Who would you drop I for? Think... I think it's look if England's strongest eleven has Johnny Bairstow in it, but I think that England's performance in the first test and the identity of the people who performed best, if, if you like, gives them the, the luxury of going well. Right now, why change that? You know, there's no need to bring Bairstow straight back from an injury. He can recover for longer, you know, because Bairstow is, you know, he's just, as of right now, when you look at that team, Bairstow's arguably a slight upgrade on Butler as a test match middle order batsman who wouldn't be keeping but he's not such a massive upgrade on Butler that you. No, if you were looking at that, that top order now, of Burns, that... Jennings, Ali, Root, Stokes, Butler in the top six, and you're keeping folks at seven, right? The only player that you could conceivably leave out for Butler, uh, for for Bearstow is Butler. That's the only one that makes any sense because you can't leave out Joe Root because he's the captain and the best player. The other, the, you know, you've got Burns and Jennings that are opener. And Ali and Stokes, uh, you're all rounders. So the only like for like replacement, is Butler. And you're right. You know, are you going to say right? We're going to leave out a once in a generation player for for Bearstow. Um I mean, you know, it, it sort of comes down to you know, is is five number sixes enough? We probably won't pick a sixth one. And, you know, that's fair enough. There, there, there's been talk, hasn't there? So, you know, some people have said, bring Bairstow back in for Burns and stick him up at the top of the order, which, to my mind, looks like taking the pick your best players and back them wherever you want, which, you know, a policy which I think is right up to a point that might be taking it a little bit too far to have... To have number sixes at one, three, five, six, seven, and eight might be too many number sixes, but but even then, it's if I mean part of the reason you can't do it is that it would just be ruinously unfair on Burns, who was in the eleven, the first choice of you know, if you're leaving someone out because you think Bairstow has to come back in, then 
you know, it, it's arguably less unfair to leave out folks who is the one who wasn't in this eleven last week, if that makes sense. But if, if ever there was a series where you might have got away, you know, maybe England have missed their chance to pick six number sixes in the same team by not having Bairstow in for Burns. Even even though I, I think England have done exactly the right thing. in. I've been saying for a while, I said, I wrote a piece a little while ago that I don't think Bairstow should be keeping wicket because I think he's actually the second best batsman behind Root. Um, and batting him at seven and having him weary is probably a bad move and you could bat him at five and he'd churn out hundreds for you. Um, and it's a little bit like having a Maserati being used as a tractor when you've got him as your keeper. And if you've got folks who is, one, a capable batsman, and two, probably a better keeper, then that kind of solves the problem for you. But yeah, then... I think, yeah, I think I think England England really lucked out on that in goal, that especially once you're going three spinners, and I've, I've not looked at the percentage, but the... The percentage of, Eng- of England's overs bowled by spin, it, it must be something close to a record for England to have bowled that number of overs of spin. Um, when you're doing that on a difficult pitch, you want the best keeper there, even more so than normal. And England sort of lucked into the right 11 for that game, if that makes sense, because they wouldn't have, if Bairstow hadn't got injured, folks wouldn't have played. You know, he wasn't wasn't even going to be there. And so, you know, Folks is a better keeper than Bairstow or Butler and kept beautifully. And you sort of think, right, well, for a while, if you're picking three spinners, then you want the best keeper. And obviously, while he's scoring hundreds as well, it doesn't even matter, does it? Because it completely takes the issue out of it. The decision with Folks will come if and when he has a drop in form with the bat is, you know, that's when the, the talk will start with him, isn't it? Is whether he's keeping his, his place in the side. Yeah, but no, I, I mean, it's a nice position to be in. Um, I'm still would rather Alistair Cook was there still going and I'm not quite sure why he gave up and I think he should be, he should have a long, hard look at himself because, yeah. you know, he could have kept going for another four years and we'd all have been very happy. Although, some of the, the lunatic fringes of England cricket support might not have been as pleased. Um, and it's going to be great when he becomes Sir Alistair Cook, um, just because it's going to be a great banter. Um, it is, but it's not going to be as good as if you'd got 15,922, is it? That's that's the issue. I'll the, never the, forgive him. The death of hashtag catching Sachin, I think. I mean, the fact that he was unwilling to commit four more years of toil and strife and effort and heartache and pain and all the rest of it to my banter is infuriating. Yeah, he's, he's let us all down. And for that to we should honest. you know we should be quite angry with him. But you know, thanks for the thanks for all of the, the Thanks you know, for the twelve thousand runs. Yeah, the twelve years of scoring a thousand runs a year. It's great. Wow. Cheers mate. But just I know, I know, arsehole, arsehole. Uh, yeah, I think England will win this second test, and I think they'll win it quite comfortably. I think this Sri Lankan team is not very good. And outside of, if you take away Dinesh Chandamal, which you ha- well, they have, because he's injured, because um, he's, is, is it his groin he did? I can't remember what he did now. groin, wasn't it, I think. Yeah. Um, I said ankle earlier, but it was obviously his groin. Same difference. Groin, wasn't it? Yeah, he needed you finishing him off. <laughs> That's exactly what the problem was. Uh, yeah, outside of Angelo Matthews, they don't really have a test class batsman. And outside of now Harath is gone as well. There's no real spinner in there that I'm particularly 
worried about. Then you've got Dan, Dan Anjaya, who's just been called for chucking um, and has to have his action test. Look, yeah, you fundamentally got a team that already looked a bit callow and a bit sort of lacking now, if you like, at this level. And then, obviously, Harath, an extreme example, but Shandamal as well. You're taking away, you know, well over really half the experience in that side is just gone. It it looks a very yeah, and you know, it looks a very inexperienced team. You just you sort of look at it and think, you know, and Angelo Matthews, he's had his issues recently, you know. So yeah, Shrine aren't very good and they're gonna be even less good in this test than in the last one. Australia have been hilariously bad, um, which we've all enjoyed. I mean I think even Australians deep down have quite enjoyed their team being a bit rubbish. Although they're not as good at enjoying their team being rubbish as we English are, are they? Uh, well then again it comes down to experience, Pete. Uh... Um but their other cricket team are an absolute treasure and a credit to them. In the the Australian women team that are going to win the um, win the World T Twenty, just very very simply and without a huge amount of effort. Like looking at, I've watched a fair bit of it, and they're like Australia two thousand and seven World Cup levels better than all of the other teams. Yeah. Do you know what I enjoyed yesterday, which was quite good? Was there was a match winning partnership between a married couple, which was quite cool. Yeah, that's, that's quite good. Isn't it? Dane Van Niekerk and Marazan Kapp put on like 68 to win against Sri Lanka. Um, so, yeah, I mean, women's cricket, I think, is probably in ruder health than it's ever been, but there's probably five or six very good teams, and then the, the rest are, are still very much in the developmental stage. Um, Gabby Lewis, I've heard good things about, uh, and I was like, oh, I'm really excited about watching her, and then she got run out in hilarious circumstances, being fined five penalty runs for running down the pitch just beforehand. So. That was a bit good. You haven't watched much of it, though, have you? So we can't really talk about I, it. I haven't time, seen a lot of it, uh, I must admit. Um, obviously, it's it's an England side that's missing a few. Um, and Australia do just look, especially in this format, they just look so powerful, so much stronger than the others. But, yeah, women's cricket is, is in a far better place. And, you know, the fact that they're able to have a standalone world 2020 is you know that's a that's a big big step in itself um just saying that the rain's being a twat you can't organize a cricket tournament like there was lots of talk about you know why have they organized the cricket tournament in november in Sri Lanka? and it does rain more than normal but it doesn't rain this much they've just been really unlucky um it just kind of happens. Do you know what I mean? It doesn't matter where you have a cricket tournament, it'll rain. Which is always why I find it hilarious when it rains in England and everyone says this is why we shouldn't have big tournaments in England. It's only England and New Zealand where you get it slagged off for it. They've done a, a decent job at turning out the pitch at the Darren Sammy. Um, I really enjoy it. I love, I, love, I love a World T20. World T20 is the best of the tournaments. It's over nice and quick. There's a lot of action. It's great. 2020 cricket's pretty awesome. Um, uh, and then... Yeah, Australia are going to win it. You heard it here first. Probably didn't hear it here first. You probably heard everybody say they're going to win it because they're really good. There was a good crowd in um, on the first night in Guyana, actually, at Providence Stadium, which, when it's full, is genuinely one of the best places I've ever been to watch cricket. Have I mentioned, uh, I don't say it very often, but I go to the Caribbean quite a lot. So, 
good that you got that in. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a long way for a chat about the West Indies there. I know. Two chats about the West Indies, wasn't it? Yeah, I know, I know. And without and, uh, England going there next year. Well, and I didn't even... World T20 and you almost didn't slip that in. Almost, almost. Uh, anything else you want to mention, Dave, before we fuck off? Uh, golf is shit. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool, cool. Yeah, it's always worth pointing that out as regularly as possible. We'll be back again with another podcast. I don't know. April... Uh, Maybe. I might try and do some over the winter. I'm a bit quieter at the moment, um, so I have some time to do these if people are interested. I get a tweet every now and then asking me if we'll do one, and I was like, yeah, go on then. Um, yeah, uh, maybe we'll do one soon. Thank you very much for listening. I've been Peter Miller. I've been joined by Dave Tickner. Goodbye. And, bye. Uh, yeah, bye. Bye now. Bye.